Hello. Welcome. We're glad that you've decided to spend some time considering spiritual things with us. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And today, we're going to look at a very important section in the Gospel of John, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to come. We begin reading in John chapter 13, and in verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will, not, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the vine, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, I do, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause." But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again in a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you are that all thi- you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But hey, card, I have overcome the world. That is a very long-ending discourse, but of pivotal importance in the ministry of Jesus, in the life of the disciples, and in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, from the beginning until the end of chapter 12, 
he shows the ministry of Jesus among the people. That he taught them many wonderful things. He did seven signs among the people. But the delight was going to soon depart from them. The people were hardened and did not believe. Previously in John chapter 13, Jesus knew his hours before his death were short. And that Satan had already entered Judas to betray him. And so they have this final supper, the the last supper. Jesus gets up and washes the feet of the disciples to show that as he is master and Lord and wash their feet, so they must wash one another's feet. Declaring the betrayal that Jesus was about to do. And then Judas goes out to betray Jesus. And this is the moment that we come to where we began our reading. In John 13, 31. And through, from there through John 16 and verse 33, there's this extended discourse that Jesus has with his disciples as he prepares them for his death and resurrection and what's going to follow. And this is a moment of great importance, to, and it's important to remember where everybody is at this point. Jesus knows all things. Jesus knows what's about to happen. The disciples don't. The disciples are not the men that we meet on the day of Pentecost. They're not the men, it's not John as we're meeting him as he's finally writing this down. It's not even the disciples after the resurrection. They know, they believe in Jesus. They believe he speaks truth. They've seen the signs. But they don't know what's going to happen. And so Jesus is trying to comfort them and encourage them because he knows they're going to go first through three days of great anguish and trial. And then even after his resurrection ascension, even greater trials in the world. And so in that light is how we should look at everything that he's saying here. His final message before he goes to the cross. And we know it's very important, because it's by far the longest discourse that we have of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and that it takes up three full chapters and then some. Uh, Grant, the chapters are a later um, addition to the text, but you think about the fact that there's 22 chapters in the Gospel of John, and this discourse it takes up three and a part. That's a pretty significant chunk of that Gospel. And so he begins... In the first section, from John 13, 31, we talk about sections, it's hard to really portion it off, because it kind of go. the whole discourse kind of flows with itself. But as we begin this discourse, Jesus declares what's going to happen. He's going to be, God is going to be glorified in the Son of Man. The Son of Man will be glorified by God. And he, and he tells this message he's had to the Jews, like in John 8, 21-24. He's now saying also to the disciples, Where I am going, you cannot come. That this distance is going to be created. And yes, he's talking about his death, but also as well after his resurrection. And after his ascension especially. And therefore he gives this new commandment, to love one another as Jesus loved them. And in fact, that is the way people will know that they are his disciples, because they love one another. In verses 31-35 of John chapter 13. So Peter then says, well, I want to follow you, I'll follow you to death. But of course, Jesus knows that soon after... He's going to deny Jesus three times. And so, again, this is another one of those great moments where Peter's full of this confidence, but Jesus knows better, and that's why he's saying the things that he's saying. But then he says he doesn't want them to be troubled. And that's the main thrust here. And that's why he says he he's going to prepare a place for them so that they can be with him. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that that's the way to the Father. And if you had know Jesus, you know the Father in the beginning of John 14. And so in verse 8, Philip says he wants to see the Father. But Jesus declares that he 
has seen the Father, because he's seen Jesus. He's seen the works of the Father in him, and that the Father abides in him. And yet, Jesus says, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 14, that even greater works will be done by his disciples when he returns to the Father, that he will do what they ask, so that the Father will be glorified, that if they love him, they should keep his commandments. And if they do that, they'll receive this promised comforter. We've seen this comforter or helper. The Greek is parakletos there, and the word means advocate, intercessor, comforter, or helper. And that identifies him as the Holy Spirit, which the world could not receive. So yes, Jesus is going away, he says in John 14, 18, but he's not going to leave his disciples desolate. Uh, The world's not going to see him, but his disciples will abide in him as he abides in God. And Jesus will be manifest to the ones who keeps his commandments, the, the ones who love him. And so then Judas, not Iscariot, we're, we're made clear of that, is very confused in John 14, 22, and wants to know how Jesus can be manifest to them but not the world. And so Jesus again says how the Father will abide the believers, and that the Comforter will teach them all things and to bring into remembrance the things that uh, he taught them in John 14, 23-26. Jesus then promises his peace to them, that if they love Jesus, that they would rejoice that he goes to the Father. If they, again, they understood what's going on here. They would be happy that this is how it's going down. And that he's not going to keep teaching them and speaking to them as he has in the past. Um, when all, After all this takes place. And so then they're supposed to get up and he, then we're given this quick, you know, rise, let us depart from here. We're, we're given the idea that uh, at that point Jesus leaves the area where they've been eating. And now they're heading to a new place, which we will see is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus then provides this illustration of the vine and branches. That Jesus is the vine, his disciples are the branches, that the Father is the vine dresser. And in this illustration, those who abide in Jesus bear fruit. Those who do not abide in Jesus are cut off by the Father. And the Father is glorified through his disciples. And, verse, and then, John 59, Jesus begins to emphasize the need to abide in his love, that as a father has loved him, he has loved his disciples, and they are to keep his commandments, as Jesus kept the Father's commands, to continue to abide in that love, that in fact no greater love there is there than to lay down your life for your friends. And then he begins talking, in John fifteen fourteen that he now calls them friends, because he made known to them what the Father has, has told them. Servants don't do know that only only friends do, and God he they have he has chosen these uh, eleven to go and bear fruit and to have it abide, and that he continues to command these things so they will love one another. And then he turns in John fifteen eighteen to start talking about the fact that the world will persecute and hate them. They persecuted Jesus after all. The world loves its own, um, thus. That they won't love the disciples because they're no longer of the world because Jesus has chosen them to take them out of the world in that sense. And they've now been convicted of their sin. They would have been guiltless if Jesus had not come to declare their sin. Uh, Jesus had not come and done the things that he did, but he has. He has testified in what he has done and what he has said, and now they will be held guilty for what they have done. And this is, in fact, uh, we're sold a fulfillment of what is written in Psalm 69 and verse 4. Uh, that, um, that, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, that um, they hated me without a cause. From Psalm 69 and verse 4, a lot of times John will use uh, Psalm 69 and evoke parts of it back in John 2. Uh, 
his zeal for your house will consume me also comes from Psalm 69. So again, he talks about the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, will bear witness, and the disciples will bear witness because they were with Jesus from the beginning in verses 26 and 27. As John 16 begins, again, all of this we've broken up into chapters uh, traditionally, but it's all one extended discourse. That he has spoken these things to them so they will not stumble. Because he's telling them that they're going to suffer persecution. In fact, this, the day is coming when people are going to think they're offering service to God by killing them. And that's all because they didn't know that Jesus was the Son. That Jesus now goes to the Father. But they're not asking where he's going. He knows that they're sorrowful in their heart. But again, he's trying to assure them it's better that Jesus goes. He needs to go so the Comforter can come and convict the world in terms of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That, in fact, Jesus would like to tell them more, but they just can't bear it right now. The Spirit, though, in verse John 16, 12 through 15, will make it known to them at the appropriate time. And then there's this little paradox and riddle that Jesus has for them, that in a little while they will not see him, but then they will see him. And they're completely confused by this, but they don't want to ask him directly. But Jesus recognizes they're confused, and so he explains, they're going to weep and the world's going to rejoice, but their sorrow is going to be turned to joy, and, and describes it in terms of a woman in labor, who she's in a lot of pain and agony, but once she's given birth, there's joy, and that's the way it's going to be for them. To this point, they've asked Jesus for nothing, and they've requested nothing in his name, but from then on, whatever they ask for the Father, they'll receive in Jesus' name, and their joy is going to be full. And he admits he's been speaking in, 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 in figures, in cryptic way. But the days are coming when he can speak plainly. And he'll not have to ask the Father for them, because the Father loves them and will make things known directly. And Jesus came from the Father and is returning to him. And the disciples at this point kind of have an illumination. They finally understand something. Ah, you, you've spoken clearly this time. And they confess that Jesus has come from God and knows all things. So in John sixteen thirty one, he asks, Well, do you truly believe... And again, just like with Peter earlier, so now with all of them, he knows it's going to happen real fast. I'm, you're going to all be scattered, and I'm going to be alone. But he's not really going to be alone, he says, because the Father is with him. He says this so they will have peace. Not to indict them, not to condemn them or censure them, but so they may have peace. They're going to have tribulation in the world, but Jesus has overcome the world. After this point in John 17, 1, Jesus will pray to the Father first for them, and then for all who believe in Jesus through his, their word. And then, after that, we'll experience betrayal, trial, torture, crucifixion, death, and burial in John 18 and 19. And so this is the farewell conversation with the disciples, and there, it's to prepare them for what he and they were about to experience. Now, before we can talk about ways to make sense of this passage and to apply, we first have to ask uh, a question. Uh, to whom are the promises of which Jesus speaks? These chapters are full of lots of verses that you've heard, lots of times in various lessons and exhortations. They provide a lot of comfort and encouragement to people, but it's also been a place where a lot of people have just taken verses out of context and just applied them as they saw fit, even though the context makes it pretty clear that you shouldn't do it that way. It's very easy for people to entirely flatten the distance between themselves and what's going on here in these verses, and to assume whatever Jesus told the eleven is also going to be true of any disciple. But there are some contextual clues to show that Jesus is in many ways speaking specifically to these eleven in a way that cannot be true of others. 
we've seen them. That in John 14, 5 through 9, when Jesus says, Well, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And there's a sense in which we can do that too. We can learn of his character through what has been revealed. But we didn't walk around with him like they did. They literally, concretely saw him in a way that we have not. Likewise, in John 14, 26, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit can bring to your remembrance all the things that I have taught you. Well, that, that's true of the disciples, because they heard Jesus the first time, and the Spirit could then bring into remembrance the things that, that they had heard from him. In fact, that gives us great encouragement, because it shows that, sure, Matthew and John, for instance, may be writing their Gospels long after these events took place, uh, between 20, maybe up to 70 years after these took place. But we have confidence that even though it may have been that long, that their memory was sharp because the Holy Spirit reminded them of what Jesus said. However, it could not be said to anybody else that, Jesus, that the Spirit could bring into our remembrance what Jesus had taught us because we had never heard it from Jesus the first time. Likewise, John fifteen twenty seven, when Jesus says that the disciples were bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning... That's only true for those who were with him from the beginning, who saw his ministry. And in Acts chapter 1, that will prove very important when it came to selecting who would become the apostle to take Jesus' place. Uh, Matthias, uh, he had to have been with Jesus from his baptism onward and be able to testify to these things. In John sixteen twelve and following, uh, the eleven at that time were not able to bear what Jesus had said, but the Spirit would and did uh, reveal more clearly the things that Jesus wanted them to understand when they could understand it after many of these events had taken place. That's why Jude can say at the end, toward the end of the Bible, that uh, the faith was delivered once for all to the saints, that this is the work that the apostles did through the revelations of the Spirit given to them. In John 16, 16-22, the eleven would not see him after his death, but they would see him in his resurrection. Again, another declaration only in their, that time and place. Uh, none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. Most of us uh, likely will not until the day of the resurrection. Um, that's because he's speaking in that context at that moment to them to encourage them. And in fact, this is not just something that we're just coming up with just to, to be argumentative or trying to deny things. Jesus himself will make that de- declaration, that distinction. In John 17, when he makes this prayer, uh, he begins praying for them in verse 6, for uh, these the in front of him and they and, and uh, what they're going to do. Then in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. So he himself is making a distinction between the ones that he's just talked to and the ones who are going to believe in him because of the testimony of those whom he's just talked to. And you take that along with the emphasis in Luke and Acts about witness and the apostles bearing witness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And you've got a beautiful harmony there that says there's the eleven who could bear witness because they saw these things. And then all of those who believe in the witness of the apostles, they maintain the same faith, but the promises are not the same because those who have believed on Jesus based upon the word of the apostles have not had the experience of Jesus in the same way as the eleven did. And all of us who have come long after, who still believe because of the witness of the apostles as revealed in the pages of Scripture do not have the experience had by the eleven. 
Yet, it's interesting that so many of the themes that Jesus speaks in this passage, John himself will later use and emphasize in his other writings. So, the idea in John 13, 34, and 35, the new commandment being to love one another as Jesus has loved them, that all, you will be known as disciples by your love for one another, will be said by John in 1 John 2, 7 through 11 and 3, 11, to all Christians. Uh, the idea in John 14, in the verse 15, in 21 through 25, and, and 15, 9 through 12, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that God abides with those who keep his commandments, etc., etc., is seen in 1 John 2, 3 through 5. In John 15, and in verse 13, uh, greater love that none have this than someone laid down his life for his friends is, is said almost again verbatim in 1 John 3.16. In John 15.18 and 23, about the world hating you, uh, is seen in 1 John 2.15-17, and 2 John 1.6-9. And of course the idea in John 16.33, this closing statement by Jesus must have really stuck with John. Uh, the idea that um, you that Jesus has overcome the world and you have peace in Jesus, because we said in First John five four, and the theme of overcoming uh, will be very prominent in the Revelation. So the question is to us: If some parts apply, but other parts do not apply, how can we properly interpret Jesus' discourse to the disciples and so as to handle the word properly? Well, we first need to remember that everything Jesus says is in private to the eleven, and that's the near context. All of it is directly, specifically at the apostles. Now, John, as an inspired witness of these events, through the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth given to him, explains how many of the things which Jesus said to the eleven are true of all disciples. And so he begins his letter, well, all the th- what, you know, all these things that he has touched and experienced concerning the Word of Life, that he's made these things known to you also, uh, just as his fellowship is with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that our fellowship would be with him. And so we can know that those things dependent on having actually seen Jesus in the flesh are restricted to the eleven. We can also know that those things that John applies to Christians afterward have greater application. So the things we've explicitly mentioned so far, we can see. If it involves the eleven at that moment, it's only to the eleven. If it involves uh, things that John says is true of Christians long after uh, that moment has passed, then it's for, for all of us. Um, but beyond that, we can also just use some sense in the way that we interpret. The illustration of vine and branches is also appropriate for later Christians, because we are to abide in God and Christ, to maintain association with God and the apostles, and to bear fruit for God in John 17 and 1 John chapter 1. The gift of the Holy Spirit was given to Christians above and beyond the eleven. We can see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 1-14 and verse 40. And that's something very important to keep in mind, that even though we recognize, according to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, 8-10, uh, that uh, speaking in tongues, prophecy, and special spiritual knowledge is going to uh, cease at the end of the first century with the fullness of revelation, that even the, the way the Holy Spirit is given and miraculous outpourings of the Holy Spirit goes beyond just the eleven. With Paul, with the... Uh, uh, with Cornelius and his people, uh, the people that the apostles laid hands on. So we've got to be careful when we talk about those things. We need to remember, though, that the things that Jesus says here about what the Spirit's going to do through the apostles is unique to the apostles because they had seen the Lord, had received the Lord's promise, 
and were commissioned to bind what had been bound in heaven and to loose what had been loosed in heaven. That was only of the apostles. Even those who were given the Holy Spirit after the apostles did not have that authority, even as they were speaking in tongues or prophesying or so on and so forth. So there are lots of ways we can respect the context while finding many important applications to our faith throughout this passage. So in light of that, what is what what can we really pull out from this? Well, first and foremost is this idea of the need to love one another. He's constantly talking about this need that we have to love one another throughout this. In fact, this is the new commandment to love others as Jesus has loved us, to love one another. And uh, John makes a lot of it, First John 2, 3, and 4. In fact, everybody makes something of this. It's interesting to see that, I'm sure there are a few commands like this, but this is a command that every gospel author gives us, every author in the New Testament gives us. Uh, obviously the ones who say have it in the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 22 and in parallel passages. And of course, we've seen it here in John, but Peter in First Peter 1, 22. Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. In James, James 2, 8. The Hebrew author in chapter 10, 24, and 13, 1. And Jude in Jude 1, 2, and verse 21, that every single speaker is speaking to us about the need to love and to love one another. Why does Jesus need to hammer this home? Well, there's the idea of it in terms of externally. How can we manifest God who is love, in 1 John 4, 8, if we do not love one another? We can only be known to others as his disciples if we love one another, because if we do not have that love for one another, we're not really reflecting who Jesus is and the essence of God. That if we don't have love among us, we've missed everything in 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 2. But also internally, because Jesus is warning here, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to go through difficult times. You're going to have all this opposition around you. So the only people you can depend on is you. you got to love one another. You're not going to make it through all this. You're also going to have other challenges and temptations. Because if you don't have each other's backs, who will? The friend's not going to be your ally or your friend. You're doomed if you don't love one another. And that's why love for fellow Christians is of the greatest importance in Jesus' discourse. Likewise, the, the idea of being the vine and branches in John 15 does a great job of showing how we live and thrive in our faith. On our own, we're sinful. We can't redeem ourselves in Romans 3, 20 and 23. If we're going to bear fruit, it's because we're connected and nourished and sustained by Jesus, the vine, because we are his branches. As branches, we're to bear fruit. This pleases the Father. If we bear fruit because of our life-sustaining connection to Jesus. And without that connection, we can do nothing. And there, or we die and are cut off and thrown to the fires, as warned about. And that's a great illustration of Titus 3, 3 through 8, and a great reminder why we need connection to Christ and among one another, that we may bear the fruit that Jesus would have us to bear. It's interesting, though, we look at in a holistic way, that this discourse is unique to John's Gospel. The other three Gospels move quickly from Judas's going out to betray Jesus to pr- Jesus praying in the garden. Uh... Not that they're denying that this discourse has taken place, but in their, they're looking much more at the events. And, and John is portraying Jesus as, as having this discourse to prepare, to get ready for the trials to come. And, and, and to prepare even for the joys to come. That he has to step back for a second and have this discussion to prime them for what is going to take place. 
There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be joy. And they must be ready for the persecution to come. But they can have no need to be afraid because Jesus is there. And Jesus will sustain them. And Jesus gives his peace. Jesus will make sure the comforter comes to them. And Jesus has a place for them when they've overcome the world. Now, we weren't there at that time. But we need prepared for what we're enduring. We're his disciples in the world. We're going to receive opposition. We must love one another. We must take strength from the Comforter, abide in Jesus, and bear fruit that we may enter the place that he has prepared for us. Are we living according to the discourse that Jesus has given? So we've seen, as best we can in this short time, the discourse Jesus gives his disciples as a farewell discourse in John 13, 31-16, That Jesus is going to die, but he will rise from the dead. He will ascend to the Father, and the Spirit will come upon the disciples. At that point they will understand all these things, and bear witness to him, but suffer persecution. They'll abide in Christ forever if they bear fruit for him. And may we trust their witness, abide in Christ, love one another, and bear fruit for the Father to abide in Him and in the Son. We're glad, glad that you've taken this time out to be with us. If you have any questions about what we've discussed here in the Gospel of John, maybe you have questions about something else, maybe you'd like to become a Christian, or maybe you just need prayer, going through some difficulties, need to talk to somebody, we're, we're here. Uh, please contact me through my website, theverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. If you'd like to learn more about the Venice Church of Christ, we're online at venicechurchofchrist.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Meetup, and Twitter, Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.